Bibles this evening and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 28. Do be in prayer for Judy and Lana. Uh, they had some difficult decisions to make this evening. Um, the short of the story is from Earl's health, it has progressed down every time they've had to do surgery on his spleen that was lacerated from the accident. Um, there have been infections that have come. Those infections have continued to diminish his health and the ventilator and um, dialysis and a couple other things that are making it so that he is still with us. They're not sure they, they didn't went through the process of trying to revive him back and let his body heal on its own, had a couple different uh, setbacks. Uh, and now he's not waking up from where he should be uh, at this point. And so uh, Judy, was, Atlanta got Judy this afternoon and took her from Cardinal Hill and they should have been getting there about 6.15, 6.30. Uh, and so uh, Mike Crawford was going down and asked him uh, I've been a couple times at the bedside of someone who is passing from this earth to glory, and that's a good thing. Uh, that's the encouragement that we have. Um, and I asked him, because I can't be there this evening, you're preaching, if he would read Psalm 116. That, that, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're with someone, that is the best psalm to read. Because it, we always know the one verse that says, precious in the sight of the Lord of the death of his saints. But if you go and read Psalm 116, every verse around it shows you why it's precious. Uh, that's why it's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And so Brother Mike said he'd be more happy, more than happy to, to read that. Um, we'll keep you posted as well. Um, some of you also had volunteered to stay with Miss Judy. I appreciate that. We'll probably take you up on that. We'll have to see how the days play out over the coming uh, few days, see what happens, see what the result is. Uh, and uh, she is going to need some help at home uh, because she is able to be upright, but she's not as stable as they would like her to be just yet because of the fracture in her hip from the car accident. And so um, she seems like she's ready to be running, but <laughs> uh, Cardinal Hill is, it likely was going to release her on Friday. They may release her a little earlier. Uh, and so what we will do is those who have let us know verbally and those who have let us know by email, uh, we have made a list of each of your names. Pam will then send out an email this Friday to give a little bit more clarity as to how we may work that. It's probably going to be three hours in a day. Uh, that way someone's there maybe in the middle of the day while Lana takes care of uh, certain family affairs. But uh, as, the, as the church family, we can try to help wherever we can in that particular situation. So appreciate each of you and your mindfulness one for another. Uh, and uh, we certainly pray comfort for uh, Judy and for Lana as well. Uh, Brother Earl, uh, <clears throat> way back when he was in good health in the hospital right after the accident, said, Brother Kyle, I know where I'm going. He said, so it doesn't matter what comes of my stay here. And I thought that's a good way to look at life. Uh, just about three days ago when he was still conversant, he said to um, Lana, his daughter, he said, I, he, I'm getting tired because I think I'd just rather go on home and be with my heavenly father. Mm -hmm. uh, and his father's in heaven. He, uh, in fact, Judy and Earl, when they very first began attending Bluegrass here, their son Greg down in Georgia died suddenly of a heart attack. He was a football coach and uh, died suddenly of a heart attack. So he's got a son waiting for him in heaven. He's got a father waiting for him in heaven. And so 
our prayers and we are mocked for saying our thoughts and prayers, but our prayers and certainly our thoughts on an evening like this are with them. And then we will also take steps to bear their burdens where we can, according to Galatians 6. Well, maybe fitting tonight, we're looking at Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 1, and we're studying in godliness the concept of courage. It takes a lot of courage to get through this life sometimes, especially if you want to do things the right way and live according to the Word of God. As a kid, this was one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Proverbs 28 and verse 1, the Bible says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Father, help us tonight to understand this concept of righteous courage. Biblical boldness. May we understand what it means and how we are to live within this framework of godliness. We have far too many cowards who are Christians and not enough courageous Christians in our world today. The cowardly thing for a Christian to do is to live like the devil in his realm. The courageous thing to do is to live like Jesus Christ in the world that we're looking towards. Bless us this evening as we talk on these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite characters in all of the old movies is who? Based upon this particular message. The Cowardly Lion. Somebody said it. And so when I preach a message like this, what do I want to say? Courage. Right? That's how he says it, right? Now, I also would sing the song, If I Were the King of the Forest. I can't do it. How it Go back and watch The Wizard of Oz, and you will understand. He says, Forest. He does it wonderfully well. I've always wanted to ask Zach if he could do that operatic voice that the guy did. That's the image that always comes to our mind when you hear the word courage. But really, we've had this week an excellent example of human courage as we celebrated and commemorated the 78th anniversary of D-Day on Monday. Yeah. I mean, you talk about courage. Going across that tiny channel and embarking upon a continent where the gates of hell seem to have been opened up against what is righteousness. And it's perfectly fitting that we preach on the idea or concept of courage here in a week like this. Solomon tells us that the righteous are bold as a lion. What does that mean? What might that look like then in the spiritual sense? Tonight I want to give us three types of courage that must be present in our modern Christianity. If it's an element of godliness that we are to understand, then we must be courageous individuals. We must do things that the world doesn't understand and do them for the right reasons in the right way. If we are to understand godliness, then we must be courageous. We must first show courage in facing our fellow man. We must show courage in facing our fellow man. Might I say here as we begin our thoughts this evening, courage is not contempt. Well, what do I mean by that? It's Wednesday night, so we can talk a little more freely. What do I mean that courage is not contempt? What, what is contempt? Looking down on, right? In other words, I can't be courageous with my 
gleaming righteous armor of Ephesians chapter 6 and I'm so holier than you because I'm courageous Christian Kyle. No, that's terrible. That's not what we mean. Courage is not contempt. Contempt is I don't like you so I'm going to stand up against you. No, listen, we are called to love our enemies. Right. So the courage that we're talking about tonight is not the bravado to just say provocative Christian things in the face of others. No, courage is not contempt. It is biblically both faith and trust married to good cheer and hope. In fact, often in the Bible you see the phrase good cheer. Do you know what that phrase, when it says be of good cheer, it is saying be courageous. Have some hope. Be excited about what you have and why you're different. It's exactly what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 4. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. For a long time in my life, and understanding the Bible as I began to grow into being a pastor, and then became a pastor, and began preaching and studying, and often studying the Word of God over and again, I would often wonder why Philippians 4 and verse 13 did not say, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. It says which. You ever figure that out? Oh, it's just a word. Words are not used accidentally in the Bible. It is because it's that hope that we have within us, the concept that I can accomplish what Christ has for us through his strength. That's what gives me the courage. That is what is which strengthens me day by day. Right. Courage to face our fellow man means first that we have recognized the snare. What do I mean by that? Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, or a trap, or an ensnaring of us. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. Let that verse settle in for a moment this evening. Let it sink deep down into your soul. The fear of man bringeth a snare. How many times have you done something because you're afraid of what someone will say or think of you? Exactly what Solomon knew it well. I cannot tell you how many times as a teenager I had our youth pastor quote us that verse. The fear of man bringeth a snare. And it's true. We live in a world and a culture where instead of courageously standing on what is right and being known as weird, peculiar, and different, we would rather conform because we're afraid of what somebody will say about us or think of us. Whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say everything will be all right. That's not what safe means. It doesn't mean that everything will be right as you perceive or hope it will be. It just says that if you put your trust in the Lord, there will be safety. Safe where, we might ask? The answer is within God's power and within God's purpose. It takes courage facing our fellow man and the opinions that they have that are opposite or contrary to the word of God. Job had to learn this lesson, that it's safer within the purpose and plan of God, within his power and within his control. Oh, he did not like what was going on. And he could have easily, when friend after friend after friend came and said, well, this is the reason you've been judged, just go, yeah, you know what, you're right. Yeah. 
But Job said, no, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm going to stand on my principles and my conviction. I'm going to have courage that I know that I'm not a perfect man in the sense of sinless, but I'm a mature man who is upright in my generation and is Jews or hates evil. I know who I am, and I'm going to take a stand upon that. Now, by the way, his safety, the only time it was ever shaken was when? When he began to question God, and God said, Hey, buddy, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? No, no, I wasn't. Okay. It's safe to side with me. Your courage will melt when you come face to face with Almighty God, because he is your courage. He is your safety. Elijah had to learn it. Abigail had to learn it. I always love Abigail and her story. Her name, her husband Nabal was a moron. The Bible literally calls him a churlish man. When I was a kid, I thought that said he was a girly man. <laughs> no, he was a churlish man. He was always grumpy. You ever see somebody that's always in a bad mood? You can't wipe the sour off their face. Abigail was married to such a person, but she did not let the fear of what that man was like and who she was married to, betrothed by law to him, ruin her safety. She interceded on his behalf, and God ultimately said, don't worry, I'll take you out of the way. And later was married to David. Elijah had to learn what that meant. Peter had to learn what this meant. Don't fear man, trust God. Courage facing our fellow man will be overcome, or that fellow man overcome, when we recognize that if their thoughts and their ways are contrary to the word of God, they're not one that I need to go along with. The second thing on this is we understand that we are to rest in the sovereign. Rest in the sovereign himself. Jesus taught to seek first the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 12. But immediately after saying to seek first the kingdom of God, he says this in verse number 32. Fear not, little fly, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, it is pretty easy to be courageous when you know that your father in heaven has promised, promised a kingdom for you. You're not a serf. You're not a peasant. You're a holy nation, a peculiar people here today. Courage tells us that God is in control. Amen. You can trace it all the way through the Bible, starting all the way back with Abram. In chapter 15 and verse 1, here's what Abram is, is told. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Hagar, yes, Hagar, the maid that did nothing wrong but was cast out into the wilderness. Here's what God said to her, caring for her in 21 and verse 17 of Genesis. And God heard the voice of the lad, that's Ishmael. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not. For God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. To the whole of Israel. In Isaiah 41 and verse 14, I love what God says here. He says this, Fear not thou worm Jacob. You ever want to think you're important to God? This is what God legitimately could say to every one of us. By the way, it is 
One of the curses of growing up in and around church generationally, we forget sometimes we are but dust and ashes. We forget that we're worms. And God has a way of reminding us, but then immediately instilling courage in us. He says, fear not, thou worm Jacob. O ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Look, the Old Testament's last prophet was foretold with a message of courage to his father. Zacharias was told in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, the Bible picks up and says, The angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son. Thou shalt call his name John. Notice what courage and trust in Almighty God will do for us. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, or Elijah himself, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. If we as families would just have the right kind of courage within the framework of godliness, we can change the world. Amen. What this passage tells us. What courage... There is over fear of man rests in the knowledge we have of our sovereign God. I don't have to worry about a maniac with a gun. I don't have to worry about a neighbor who might have a disease they can spread. I don't need to worry about a passerby in his or her vehicle. I don't even need to worry about a madman in another country with his finger on a button that could wipe half of our planet away because my courage for daily living comes from a sovereign God right. yeah. I can trust in him right by the way I can tell you that throughout 2020 and 2021 we have seen a lot of courage evaporate in a lot of people yeah. again courage is not recklessness either courage is a right perspective of who God is how God works. Secondly, we find courage facing our fallen mind. Not just over our fellow man that might trick us, trap us, and try us, but over also our fallen mind. The angel's greeting to Mary in Luke chapter 1 is really the touchstone. It's the launching point for what Jesus was coming to do. And the courage that flows from this statement should be an encouragement to us this evening. In Luke 1 and verse 30, the Bible says, The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. Why? Well, what does it go on to say? Why shouldn't she fear? Because she had done enough to please God. Because her works were justifying her. Because she was from the right family in the right church at the right time in the right place. Is that what it says? No. He says, Fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. God's grace. That's what grace is. The favor of God upon us. By the way, if this is also the way in which we face and overcome fears that reside in our fallen and finite mind. We are, letter A, surrounded by fears. They're on every side. 
I could go and take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where Paul talks about being perplexed on every side and all the troubles that were setting in on him and how he continued to just preach and do the ministry. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy, though, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. He says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So this is the preface. This is the context. This is what that spirit of love, the, the, excuse me, that, that power, love, and sound mind, that, that three prongs, I would argue, of courage that we are to have. What is it for? He goes on to say this, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. In other words, he's trying to encourage or infuse courage into Timothy. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, it's the preaching of the good news, the gospel message that brings to light you and I are literally now immortals. That's what Paul's saying there. Whereunto, Paul says, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles for the which cause I also suffer these things. He had to have courage. That's why he prefaced what he is about to say to Timothy with courage. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. I'm not discouraged in this. For I know whom I believe and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Hold fast, he finishes with Timothy and tells him. The form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. In other words, Timothy, be courageous. There are times when fears will beset you. I cannot talk you out of them. I, I often will smile sometimes when... Loved ones, family members, church family will call and say, Pastor, talk me out of being afraid of this. I will say, I can't. I'm not a snake oil salesman. Take two of these and call me in the morning. I, I can't do that. I can tell you what the Bible remedy is for fears that you have. But it's going to take you having the courage to believe God rather than what your fallen mind is telling right. Right. Because you're surrounded by fear. I could die tomorrow. You could die tonight. How about I solve it for you? I mean, I could scare you to death right here. By the way, there are preachers that will try to scare people into heaven. Scare them out of hell. I don't know that that's necessarily an evil thing, but you want to go to heaven because you're afraid of stuff? And by the way, that's how I got saved. I'm not mocking it. That's how I got saved. I was afraid of going to hell. I told my mom and dad that night, I don't want to die and go to hell. And my dad said, I don't want you to either. I made him mad that week. He was. The second thing I think we find with our fallen mind is not just that we are surrounded by fears or phobias, things that will cause us to fear. Letter B, we are filled with faults. Your fallen mind will seize upon what your faults are. And it will not let go of you. 
Every mistake that we make robs us of more and more courage. Right. Yeah. You ever met someone that is a Christian, but they are scared to death to die? Why? The first place I always start as a pastor is, okay, let's talk about your stacked up sins. <gasps> That's not fair. Listen, it's only sin that robs you of courage. Right. It's only sin. Because sin will fill you with the selfishness of this world, or your own self, and rob you of the Spirit's presence at all. Every mistake we make robs us of our courage. It causes us to doubt ourselves. It causes us to doubt our salvation. It causes us to lose the Spirit's filling. One of my favorite passages, I've told you this many, many times, I go to it myself when and if I struggle. You say, you even struggle? Look, I'm human. I'm flesh just like you. I go back to 1 John 3, verses 20 and 21. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Amen. And knoweth all things. What is the reference here? What is the context here? He's talking about being saved in 1 John 3. Having the love of God. Having it in us. Having it flow from us. And he says here, look, he knoweth all things. What is the only thing I really care he remembers about? That I trusted him as my Savior. He'll never forget it, even if you do. Yeah. That's what that verse tells you. The next verse is equally as powerful, and often I even will leave it out, but here's what it says. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have courage, confidence toward God. Right. That is the Christian existence in a nutshell, those two verses. You're either a coward because you're afraid you're not even saved at all, or you're confident and courageous towards God. Yeah. Proverbs has a lot to say about this, but the favorite passage I have when it talks about our faults that entrap our fallen minds is that wonderful passage in Proverbs 24 and verse 16. A just man falleth how many times? Okay, so let's pause for a second. What does that mean in biblical numbers of the Old Testament, what does that mean? What is the number seven? It's completion, right? Rest, Sabbath. We can rest because it's done, it's complete. Perfection is three, and so when we look at seven, we see a just man can completely fall. What do you mean completely fall? They can sin in the greatest way possible. Ooh, that's good for me. Yet he rises up again. Oh, you can't say like that. I love especially the King James because it gives us the ETHs. That's not the only reason I love it, but it's one of the key reasons I love it. The idea here is the just man falls and falls and falls and falls and falls and falls. He's going to make mistakes. But the just man doesn't just get up once. He gets up and 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 he gets up. A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. The idea at the end of that verse is they will fall and stay there. Third and finally this evening, it's not just courage overcoming and facing our fallen mind and our fellow man, but there's some fallacious myths, and I have to hustle through these, so I will not give them their due course this evening. Colossians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, Beware lest any man spoil, spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, in who? In Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
Paul in Romans chapter 1, and if you want to turn there, that's where we'll conclude this evening, addresses two prevalent myths that drive and still dominate our modern society. The first is the fall into the, uh, the excuse me, the first one falls into the idea of ideological myths. They still, that we find in Romans 1, are in our world today. And it's going to take courage from you, especially as this nation darkens, to be able to stand up to these ideological myths that are out there. I put them in your notes, evolution and humanism, humanism being secular humanism. These are the very vain deceit, the empty lies, that are after the tradition of men that Paul is warning the church at Colossae about in Colossians 2.8. Evolution, first believed in the ancient Greeks as a form of materialism, later developed by Lamarck and then Darwin into the dominant theory of how the universe and all that is in it came from nothing to the intricate and highly developed present today, though it can still not tell you how and why there is something called fine-tuning, why there is the intricacies of the universe, why there is a soul in man, why there's consciousness in an animal and the animal instinct. They can't tell you those fine-tuning details, yet they will tell you that this is law, this is science, this is settled. And it takes courage to stand up to that. As a myth, its only purpose is to replace God. It's why it was developed and always has been. Henry Morris, in his wonderful book, The Long War Against God, tells us that the devil himself believes in the theory of evolution. Mm -hmm. An interesting book. You ought to read it sometime. Of course, the Bible always is our answer, and our courage is drawn from facts. And reality. Genesis 1 1 in the beginning, God created. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Romans or Revelation 21 and verse 1 says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. In other words, he made the first creation. If you were to continue reading in Colossians 1, it says that everything's are held together by the power of his word, and there's going to come a day where he'll remake everything again. What a wonderful God we have, and we serve. But here in Romans chapter 1, we pick up our reading in verse number 16, if you're there with me. The Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Kara, do I have the verses for that back there? I don't. Okay, good enough. I hope you have your Bible. I'm always, just in case you didn't bring it. Oh. Just put them up there. Verse 18. Here's the key. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Remember, we're trying to understand godliness here. And unrighteousness of men who do what? Hold the truth in unrighteousness, verse 18 says. Because. Well, why would they do this? Verse 19 goes on. Because. That which may be known of God is manifest in them. That is probably one of the greatest verses in all the Bible for you to be courageous against the ideological myth of evolution to learn. Why? 
You have a conscience, and God says, I put it in you so that you would know me. That's what this verse is telling you. It is manifest in them. Notice he doesn't say it's manifest to them, or it's manifest for them, or manifest upon them. It is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. In other words, you and I, as we observe the universe, we can say there is some fine-tuning that's been done to this universe that cannot be a cosmological accident. There has to be purpose in that thing's design or that law's design and application. He goes on to say in verse 20, being understood by the things that were made, even as eternal power and God did, so that they are what? Without excuse. It's a myth. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Yes, we live in a very vain, imaginative world today, ideologically. Every man is doing what seems right in their own eyes. It's like the days of Noah. And their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Up is down and down is up. Good is bad and evil is right. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image. Made light to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. The second ideological myth, and I'm hustling here, is humanism. The idea of humanism as an ideological worldview or as a core worldview that we must be courageous against, it teaches us that man is the center of all things and the height of all things. The concept is the very lie that Satan told Eve and sold to her in the garden. You will be like gods. We are our own gods. We determine destiny, humanism would say. I remind you of the facts once again, Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. Revelation 4 and verse 11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou created all things. For thy pleasure they are and were created. It kind of eliminates humanism. It really kind of puts in there that we are in the, a phase of nothingism, except for what God is in us. The second myth is the myth of identities that we have today. Romans chapter 1 continues, beginning in verse number 24, moving forward into the myths that pervade our culture today. Professing themselves wise, they became fools, verse 22. Verse 24 says this, Wherefore, because they thought themselves wise, but were truly foolish in the eyes of God, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed or converted the truth of God into a lie and worshiped the, and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, second time now, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use in that which was against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman burned in their lust one toward another. These are homosexuals, by the way. Men with men working that which is unseemly. This is God speaking, by the way, through the Apostle Paul. And receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was me. These are the diseases that they get, by the way. Have you noticed how quick monkeypox has disappeared from the news? It's only passed through homosexual sex. 
<gasps> I know there's little ears and I have to be careful, but be courageous, mom and dad. You can explain that carefully when you get home. <laughs> I know I have to. My wife is with me. <laughs> Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That means a mind that doesn't function properly. Friend, we live in the myth of identity with brains that don't function properly today. And it's going to take some courage to simply say what is right. It's odd. It used to be that a pastor would preach on the roles and responsibilities of the sex or gender, man and woman. Now we actually have to preach also on a third art, the reality of it. It is an odd thing to make this statement, and pastors of generations ago probably never thought a pastor would ever have to stand in a pulpit and say this. But it takes enormous courage to stand against these foolish identity myths. But by the way, they are very simple to answer. You don't have to work hard mentally to develop a simple answer to what a woman is. Or who can have babies. That every creature, great or small, has only two biological sexes. No matter how much someone feels, there's something else. It is the process of convincing empty-headed, logically blind people of the facts. The facts that are far more important to a functioning society than any person's feelings. That's all you have to argue. What are the facts? Yeah. I don't even like Bill Maher, but I watched a clip from Bill Maher the other day. As far liberal as you can get. And he did a monologue, and he said that every generation, so if you go back to the baby boomers, the homosexual population was like 1%. And then the next identifying as that was 2%, and it's doubled every generation. And by his joking, vulgar way, he essentially said, by the time 2050 comes and that generation is alive, 100% of us will be homosexuals. Guess what? If we are, there's no children. And man ceases to be. Facts always beat feelings. It might take some courage to stand up to the foolishness of this world, but that's what it takes. The importance of the Bible and our courage and the working of the Holy Spirit is because it's of, its, of its simplicity in explaining and understanding all things. Paul does not take more than five verses explaining the crazy corruption that is the myth of identity. And yet, in an airtight argument, he closes the book on all of their foolishness. Paul simply states the answer to not only the identity myth, but the reason for the myths in these verses, 24 through 28. He says in verse 29, as we continue on, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. That's God's factual statement. That's what they're worthy of. Why? Because all of these things are sin. Some of them are high rotten sins, and some of them are just mild, mild wicked sins. They're all sins. 
not only do the same, but notice what he says, but have pleasure in them. Note the difference. Revelation 4 and verse 11, God wants to take pleasure in us. And when we reject God and cowardly run away from him, we only are seeking to please ourselves. Right, right. So in closing, what is needed in this world is more Christians who will with courage and confidence biblically confront our fellow man, our fallen mind, and the false myths that permeate our culture. And note in closing, courage is not condescension to others. We're not contemptible to them. We do not treat them with disdain. But rather, it is faith motivating right actions at the right moment for the right reason. That's courage. And may God give us all courage. Father, help us as we close. Take us home in your grace, we pray. We pray.